Please be seated and turn with me in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 13. In the evening as I'm preaching, we're going through Leviticus and we're really getting to some of the meat of those really difficult sections. If you're reading in your Bible, you might find yourself slogging through this. I will not be reading all of Leviticus 13 or 14. We'll be reading short excerpts today, but enough to get you the idea that we can work through the text and see what the Lord has to teach us from these words. So we'll be reading the first eight verses that describes what it means to be unclean physically before the Lord in the case of mercy. The rest of the chapter goes and describes other various scenarios. And so we're going to skip over those and then we're going to read verses 45 and 46, which describes the condition of someone who was pronounced unclean as, as a leprous person. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest, or one of his sons the priests, and the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair on the diseased area has turned white, and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. But if the spot is white in the skin of his body and it appears no deeper than the skin, and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest shall shut up the diseased person for seven days. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. And if in his eyes the disease is checked and the disease is not spread on the skin, and the priest shall shut him up for another seven days, and the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. And if the disease area has faded and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only an eruption, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the eruption spreads in the skin after he has shown himself to the priest for his cleansing, he shall appear again before the priest, and the priest shall look. And if the eruption has spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous disease. Moving down to verse 45, describing the condition of this person, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover, cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Please pray with me. Father, as we see from your old covenant, the picture of what it means to be diseased and full of sin and cast aside, would you draw our minds and eyes to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith? Spirit, would you work in our hearts? We need you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we just finished man camp, and one of the things we did at man camp is we, we told some dad jokes. Some dad jokes around the fire, and just, it's kind of a little bit of a running theme. In the Army, there were some different sort of jokes that made their way around. You may have heard of Chuck Norris jokes. 
Some of you are saying, Chuck who? Who's Chuck Norris? Now, he was maybe the inventor of the original meme. He was a, a stuntman, a tough guy, martial artist, movie star. I believe he's a brother in Christ. I looked him up. He's still living at 83. But the lore of his toughness was packed into Chuck Norris jokes. I'm just going to tell you a few. Believe me, there is a point to this, but I'm going to tell you a few of them. So here's one. Chuck Norris doesn't wear sunblock. The sun wears Chuck Block. Chuck Norris makes onions cry. Once a cobra bit Chuck Norris's leg. After five days of excruciating pain, the cobra died. Chuck Norris can slam revolving doors. Last one. Chuck Norris's tears cure cancer. Too bad Chuck Norris doesn't cry. Okay, the point here in the jokes is that Chuck Norris is so tough that the normal rules of life, the way reality works, doesn't apply to Chuck Norris. Of course, that's not true. Chuck might be an incredible man, but he's an ordinary man. He's 83 years old. I would not want to fight him today. But 10 or 20 years from now, I won't have to. He's going to go the way of all men. And yet, don't we yearn for a hero who can break the rules, who can do something undoable. We're looking for someone like that. And I believe it's because we all want someone who can help us. Today, there is there's a question, there is a cry in people's minds as you look at the epidemic of mental health, of, of suicide, of self-harm, of depression. People are searching for answers, and they don't know why, but they need help. Well, here's the problem. People aren't going around looking for this, but we have hidden the fact that we are sinners, that we are dirty on the inside. And and here's the the point of the message today, that we are going to see, unlike Chuck Norris, where it's simply a meme, when it comes to Jesus, Jesus is not defiled by dirty people. He makes dirty people clean. Jesus isn't contaminated. He can actually reverse this. I want you to think of what it means to be dirty. Let's look at this picture as we're going to go in and look at, at the, the passage today. Um, what does it mean to be dirty? Uh, last month, Rich Gardner was here, and he goes to Africa for a foundation in Christ, that wonderful ministry, and he, had, he and I had lunch over at the Point 40 Diner, and so over a, a Greek salad for me and a, a cheesesteak for him, he, he pulled out his iPad and showed me these pictures from Africa. Now, many of you saw them in the evening in his presentation, but he showed me more. And one picture he showed me was of a watering hole. It was just a little watering hole. And, and um, there was people that lived on the back side of the mountain. They had to go up the mountain to the other side. And, and you, think of, you, know, you think of mountain waters, right? Clear, crystal, alpine streams. Well, think of the exact opposite. Right? This is water was stagnant. It was green. It was brackish. And he told me, they tried to serve me this water, but, but at night... So I couldn't see it. Any takers? Want to drink the water? No, because you know it's you know dirty water is bad for you. It's foul. There's bacteria that can make you sick, and you naturally recoil from that. You don't want to bathe in it. You don't want to like wash your clothes in it. You certainly don't want to drink in it. Why is that? Because normally, normally, clean things don't make dirty things clean. And yet, what we see with Jesus is that's the exact opposite. Now, what God has given us here is these holiness laws. Israel was to make a distinction between what is 
holy and common. So God was holy and set apart. And then within the common, there was the clean and the unclean. And so the clean would have met certain criteria. And then the unclean was unfit to be in God's presence. It symbolized dirt. It symbolized sickness. It symbolized sin. And we've seen in the past in Leviticus, when things that are unclean come into God's holy presence, there is an explosion and the unclean is annihilated. And so here we see another way in which God is going to act out, people act out, symbolize in their bodies this idea of how they need to be holy before the Lord. Now, just before I go, some of you, if you've been in the, the, the evening service, you'll notice that I skipped chapter 12. And you're thinking, hmm, chapter 12 was really interesting. I was wondering what he was going to do with that. Have no fear. We will be covering that. This is expository preaching. That will be with the next sermon with chapter 15. But what we see here, we're going to be talking about the body and in general, is that the body is a picture of holiness and it's to be clean. God says to Israel, your body is to be a picture of holiness. Twenty-five times in this chapter, the word clean is mentioned. An extreme concern for cleanliness. The opposite would be leprosy. Now, leprosy is this picture of sin and death. Probably not Hansen's disease, as we know today, where where you lose your your sensations, and eventually fingers and toes may fall off. Those aren't the symptoms that are are listed here. Rather, it's it's an eruption. It's oozing. This hits home to me because when I was in my late teens, I had what I thought was, at the end of the winter, a severe case of poison ivy. And so I was putting on the the, the creams that, that dry it out. And it just kept weeping and cracking and oozing. The more I treated it, the worse it got. So, so my hands were blistered and I would, I would like pad them and, and I was getting rid of all the, the weeping liquid that my hand was putting, was, was, was oozing. And so finally I go to the doctor. He says, that's not poison ivy, it's eczema. You're doing the exact opposite wrong thing that you should be doing. Here's some cream. And it cleared up. But, but that eczema or psoriasis or anything, these, these would have fallen under unclean. I would have been unclean according to these laws. Now, we're not going to really focus on the other aspects in these chapters. It also mentions in addition to the body, clothes, and homes. But these also are focusing on your bodies. You, you, you live in your home. You wear the clothes. And so we're going we're gonna to focus on what's the main part, the body, because who you are, your body defines you. And... In God's old covenant economy, disease was a picture of sin. Remember the idea of holiness on one side and then cleanliness as this buffer zone and uncleanliness on this side was a spectrum between what was light and pure and good and whole and then what, what, what is dead and dying and sick and sinful. And so if you are sick, especially with these diseases that are often grotesque, uh, then you are not, you're not attesting to that holiness. You're not living to that holiness. And it was actually thought to be a, a living death. Later in Numbers, Miriam will oppose Moses. Remember that? And, and the Lord rebukes Miriam and Aaron, and she is covered with leprosy. And, and there it's described as, as like the skin becoming white and, and brittle. And Moses prays for her and says, Lord, do not let Miriam become like one of the dead. She, she, at the Lord's discipline, becomes unclean with her leprosy, and it's, it's this state of living death. And so, when there was a serious eruption or abnormality on the skin, the priest would look at it, as we read, and, and not necessarily as a doctor did with mine, and say, oh, well, that's, 
that's not a poison ivy, that's eczema, here's, here's some steroids cream. No, they're, they're looking to see if it meets the, holy, the criteria for holiness or not. And, and if there is an eruption that, that meets the criteria for uncleanliness, you were pronounced unclean, and this was a symbol of living death. Remember what it says in verse 46. He is unclean, he shall live alone, his dwelling shall be outside the camp. And the camp stands for God's presence with his people. All that is good and right. It's like Adam and Eve being exiled out of the garden, going into Eden, even east of that. And so you're pronounced unclean because your sin, your, your, your disease is a symbol of sin, which is destructive. And just like that, you become contagious. We're not going to read about the houses too much, but if you just look, uh, turn to chapter 14, I'm just going to read two verses talking about how this uncleanliness was contagious. This is talking about a house that's unclean. Chapter 14, verse 36. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes to examine the disease, lest all that is in the house be declared unclean. And afterwards, the priest shall go in to see the house. Notice again, this is not a concern for contamination by disease. Otherwise, if there was scarlet fever in the house, removing the items before you pronounce that there's scarlet fever, has nothing to do with contamination. This is a, this is a ceremonial pure impurity that once something is pronounced unclean, is in this category of living death, everything that comes into contact with it also becomes like that. Same, uh, same in verse 46. He's talking about a house that's unclean. Moreover, whoever enters the house while it is shut up shall be unclean until evening. So you see here, sin or disease is a, is a, uh, a symptom, a symbol of sin, and this is contagious. Right? These laws help you to understand then that you and I are sinners before a holy God. It's not just to do our best and hope that the laws of justice line up on our behalf. How many times today have you heard someone say that if God is out there, if, if, if God is a just God, then I just have to do more right than I do wrong. And, and that will get me into heaven. What did we read in Isaiah 1? You, you, you have no hope. You are, you are beaten up. You are, you, you are making yourself worse. You, you are dead. You are dying. Disease is a picture of sin. But it is important to notice that disease is not always caused by sin. We must never have a mechanistic view of the world that something bad happened to you, so therefore you must have sinned. You have this disease? Well, why, why did you sin? Now, this can be the case. Sometimes God can use uh, disease or sickness as a discipline in your life to get your attention, but not always. A, a commentator made a very astute connection to the person of Job. Now, we don't know when Job would, ha when he lived exactly, he may, may have been before Israel, we don't know if there were similar ideas with uncleanliness, with, with bodily skin and, and, and infections, but remember Job has afflicted with boils. Remember that? He, Sickness, disease, boils. If he was in the Israelite camp, he wasn't, but he certainly would have been considered unclean at that time. We don't know if they thought him was unclean or not, but his friends certainly thought that there was something wrong with Job. Job, you're sick. Why is this? But here we see there is a difference between sickness and sin. Now, we'll look at how, how you are forgiven and brought back into the camp, and there is an offering given, and sometimes it is called a sin offering. But it never refers to the sickness as sin. And in fact, in verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 20, at the very end 
of the ceremony, it says, And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus the priest shall make atonement for this person, and he shall be clean. Not forgiven. We're not saying there's a sin that needs to be forgiven, but, but being clean, being brought back into God's presence. And so when you go to a brother and sister to confront them with sickness, you trade carefully. There are times, uh, Pastor Alanis and I visited a man in the hospital as we were just doing around in the spirit and talking and praying with people, and he was a regular. He, he habitually drank, and it was destroying his liver, and he would find himself back in the hospital time and time again. Well, there's a, there's a direct connection between his sin and what's happening. But other times, not as much. What disease should do is remind you of the reality of sin and Adam's death just like Adam's fall. And, and so point the finger, not to point the finger that you've done something wrong, but I live in a sinful world. Well, God does set this up so that in their bodies, their people are living symbols of the effects of sin. And yet he provides a way for them to return. We're going to read just a little bit of chapter 14. But before we do that, I want you to put yourself in the place of someone who has an eruption on your hand, let's say. And you go to the priest, and he says, that's, that's a leprous disease. You are unclean. Think about what that means for you. Think about what that would be for you to have to pack up a few of your things, perhaps, to go outside the camp. You are living outside in your own, uh, away from not just the comforts of the camp, but from the presence of God and his blessing. You are separated from your family your kin, from all of your friends, all who are dear to you, perhaps they bring you food from a distance, but you are cut off for them. And remember, this is, a, this is a communal society. You are not to go off on your own. That was a curse. And, and there was no endless stream of you know, music to listen to or Kindle books to read. Like you were off by yourself. This would be far worse than, say, when, when we were cut off by COVID, right? All, all that makes life worth living is gone, and there you are by yourself, with your disgusting, defective body. Now, in some ways, this is an imperfect picture of hell, eternal judgment, right? This will be far worse, because you won't be just separated from God and others by your sin, but you'll be actively experiencing his wrath. But think about what that would be. But God does provide a way for his people to return. If and when their body heals, they may return to the camp, the place where God dwells. And what I want you to see here is an immediate change in reality. So looking at verse, or chapter 14, the first few verses. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then in the case of the leprous person, the disease is healed. The priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed, two bird, clean birds of hyssop and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. What I want you to hear there is that the person who is to be cleansed, he is no longer the person who is diseased, but the person who is about to come back in to the community. And if you read those 20 verses, this is an elaborate creation ritual that, that mirrors what happened when the, the priests were ordained. If you remember the passage, if you were there in the evening when the priests were ordained, they're, they're cleansed. The birds are killed, they're sprinkled with the blood, they wash their clothes, and then just like the priests had to wait outside of the holy place for seven days, they must wait outside 
the camp for seven days, symbolizing a new creation that is going on. God is making something new. And then there is a sin offering that allows them to come back in, that, that covers the defilement, the ritual defilement of, of their disease. And then more birds are killed, and they, like the priests, they are, they are covered with the blood on their ear and their thumb and their toes, showing that, once again, they are set apart to be special, every part of them. And then they are anointed with oil. Interesting, similar goes along for the Nazarite vow. And what this is saying here is that God is working a new reality in you. He's overcoming, as we saw before. There's, there's, this, there's this idea of our creation, our, our creation in Christ and, and being cleansed, of, of having new clothes, of being given a new identity, of being set apart. And now imagine the joy as your family is waiting to receive you. Right? You're, you're reunited back in and you can worship the Lord. God provides a way. This is the world of God's people in the Old Testament. A covenant. It's a, it's a system of laws to guide and to teach you that God is holy and sin is to be avoided at all costs. And you can see how, how vivid this was, but also how much it would affect you if one day you woke up with a boil or a rash. And this is how the people lived, learning that God was holy, learning that sin is to be avoided. And then comes Jesus. And then comes Jesus. Turn with me to a familiar passage, Mark chapter 1. Pastor Peter's been in Mark. And Mark chapter 1 gives you uh, a day in the life of Jesus as, as he's bringing in the new kingdom realities. And he's teaching, and then also he heals. Mark chapter 1, reading verses 40 to 42. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hands and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Now, just from the little bit of time we've spent in Leviticus, just kind of slow motion, Jesus touching. The Jews around them aren't saying, go for it, go for it. They're saying, stop. There's horror. Jesus, that's not how it works. Unclean people make you unclean. In fact, how dare you pronounce him clean? That's wrong. That's backwards. And what Jesus says, I am far better than any of the cleansing that the priests can do. Now, they're, they're, they're intricate ceremonies. They were good gifts from God. But now I am here. Now that I, the Lord, am here, at the touch of my hand, I heal you and you're clean. And Jesus can do this because he goes to the root of the problem. He just doesn't pronounce the man clean with an elaborate ceremony, which God recognized because he commands from the priest. He speaks the word and heals the disease because he has power over sin. Michael Card sings, he has a, an album about the Gospel of Mark, and one of his songs, the refrain goes like this, Life and healing in him meet, the dark demonic must retreat, all they hoped for and more. They found at his feet. See, in Jesus, you have someone who makes the unclean clean. And as you know, you go on the story, he does this at the cost of his own life. He is the sin offering for you. And we don't talk about the gospel in society today. It's very strange, and I think we, we undervalue it today. We can, we can either just camp out on how we are sinners in the church and, and, and not 
not adequately understand how Jesus heals us, or, or we don't talk about how we're sinning at all, and we repress that, and we have kinds of guilt and shame outside the church. Both of them, really, if you talk about sin without a Savior, or you suppress sin, in either way you're going to have shame. But what Jesus says is that you are unclean. You are dirty. That, that, that beautiful ceremony of Leviticus 14, it offers hope with the symbol of uncleanliness of the new creation, but it doesn't solve the real problem. I am the real problem. Jesus says, I've come to die in your place. I've, I've come to bring you new life. I have come to bring you back into my family, back into the camp. And we ask, why does God allow for evil and sickness? And there's, we, we've answered earlier in the service for his glory. Um, what, we'd say, why, why does God require that his people in their bodies enact this uncleanness which separates them? There's, there's some things we don't know. But here's what you do know. That Jesus, by taking your sin, also took your uncleanness. As Paul says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And so he was the one who shouted unclean. He was the one who was put to death, real death, outside the camp. Where God in his holiness turned his face away from his son. He was cut off from the community of the Trinity. He poured out his wrath upon him. And it was for you. An incredible, powerful act of love and mercy. Jesus is your sin offering. And as a result, you are clean. You are clean. Today I ask you, have you claimed that forgiveness? There is so much hurt and shame and guilt. It, it, as I talk to young people, I talk to my soldiers, it breaks my heart. You hear about the, the, the mental health epidemics. People just not wanting to have children. People not wanting to grow up. The self-harm, the eating disorders, the list goes on. And we say that's it's because we've minimized sin. Right? You define yourself by your success by your own self. Then, then how do you deal with your sinfulness? You can only deny and it shouts louder. Inside the church, we have our own shame. I can't be forgiven by this sin. I, 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 it could be a respectable sin, and you just can't get past the fact that I am not perfect, that I have blown it here. Or maybe it's a sin that's obvious. Maybe it's been an affair in the past. Maybe you are still trapped in pornography, and you say, I, I, I am dirty. I'm defiled. Maybe it's not something that you've done, but someone has done to you. The words they've said to you, or a way that they've touched you. You say, I am gross. I am unclean. Jesus says, come to me. In me, you are clean. The Apostle Paul, as he talks to the Christians who were pagans, who, who didn't know God's law, who were living it up, who were living life for now, they would have had a, you know, a record of sin that was blatant for everyone to see. Who are now made alive in Christ. He says to them this in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And there is nothing more freeing today than to claim that freedom. 
If you bow the knee before Jesus and you confess him that he is your Savior and King, and he looks on you like the leper, and with pity he says, I am willing, be clean. And he touches you. And you are. Now this matters how you live as a new creation in Christ. In the coming weeks in Leviticus, we'll dig into that command. Be holy as I am holy. It matters the way you live. But today, just claim that reality that Jesus can cleanse your sins with one touch. And if you have claimed him, he has. Satan accuses you. He will remind you of your past. You can accuse yourself. I am not worth it. I am worthless. But Jesus is the one who makes unclean people clean with the touch of his hands. Do you notice, Jesus? Turn to him today. And when you can't believe that I have done this again, turn to him today. Repent. But turn to him today. Do not let your sins define you. You know, when we see it, his, that sin and sickness cannot define us, and one day it will not be able to touch us. I'm going to finish by reading from the Apostle John in, in Revelation 7. He talks about what it means to be clean. He's looking at the church of Christ as it will be. And he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches, symbols of victory in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and all the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, So you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great, great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to the springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And so for you who feel ashamed today, you feel dirty. Christ has cleaned you. Maybe you're feeling in your body the effects of sin and disease. Your brothers and sisters cannot make it today because you're old. Or you're watching today because you're not well enough to come. The, the sin, right, which caused your disease, Adam's sin, is done. It is dealt with. And someday we will worship washed in white. Sin, disease, infirmity will have nothing to do with us. And so in the meantime, claim the promise that when Jesus touches me, I am clean. Please pray with me. Father, we have no place in the Christian life for boasting or self-congratulation or kind of any kind of pride. But neither do we have any room for self-pity or loathing or guilt. Because Jesus has taken them all.
And so as his people who have been touched, who have been made whole, we claim his forgiveness. We rest in who he is. We praise you that you have brought us into the camp. You have made us clean so that we can live with you and be holy as you are holy. And so now as we prepare to receive your supper, would your gospel be working powerfully in us, continuing, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.